Hey, you're listening to Guat.Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, Advancing Equilibrium in the Midst of an Agitated World. This is Season 13, Episode 288. This is the last episode in Season 13. Season 14 will crank up with Episode 289. Today's title, Six Helps to Keep Our Hearts. Subtitle, God-Given Powers of Protection. The grace of God restores a human soul that has been universally corrupted, depraved, and torn apart. To keep the heart requires constant care and diligence, for though grace has, in a great measure, repaired the soul and made it fit for heaven, yet sin often untunes the soul, so that even a gracious heart is like a musical instrument, which, though you tune it exactly, sometimes a small difficulty brings it out of tune again. Neglect your heart like a neglected guitar? that has been set aside for a while, and it will need tuning again before another lesson can be played upon it. To keep the heart is to carefully preserve it from sin, which disorders it, and maintain it in good spiritual shape, which makes it fit for a life of communion with God. Here are six aspects to consider as we seek to keep our hearts with God. My friend, this first aspect is deep and thoughtful, and we really need to give it great attention. I'm not trying to be grandiose or pompous in my evaluation of this first point or the points to follow. It is thoughts like this passed down to us in the writings of people like John Flavel that caused me to ask the question, why was this stuff not talked about or taught in any of my biblical training, church instruction, or Christian discipleship? All I can say is that I'm glad that God's Holy Spirit has led me to this stuff now. The first aspect we need to consider is that we need to take a frequent inventory of the condition of our heart. Fleshly and ceremonial surface religious people pay no attention to this. They cannot be brought to converse or consult with their own hearts. There are some people who have lived 40 or 50 years in the world and have had scarcely one hour's conversation with their own hearts. It is a hard thing to bring a person to converse with themselves on such business, but saints of God know those monologues to be very beneficial. The most diligent and sincere secularist could say, the soul is made wise by sitting still in quietness. There are a lot of prominent people who claim to have control over their heart and soul through transcendental meditation, yet they are people with no personal relationship with the God who created them. People who are spiritually bankrupt because they have not been regenerated by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And the truth is, they don't care to look into their own overdrawn, bankrupt life accounts. Yet an upright heart will know if it is moving forward or backward in its fellowship and communion with God, which exerts power and influence over all the other attributes of a person's life, lived in community with other people. King David said, I commune with my own heart. The heart can never be kept until its situation be examined and understood. The second aspect we need to consider is this constant self-evaluation and scrutiny under the influence of the power of God's Holy Spirit is like a giant helicopter searchlight targeting a band of runaway thieves. If things are working correctly in our hearts, the result should be a sense of deep shame for our heart evils and disorders, and consequently, Like Hezekiah of the Old Testament, this illumination should provoke us to humble ourselves for the pride in our hearts. In Hezekiah's day, the people were ordered to spread forth their hands to God in prayer, realizing the plague of their own hearts. 
For this reason, many an upright heart has been laid low before God and made a statement, O what a heart have I! Past saints have in their confessions pointed at the heart as the pained place, that place of pain. Lord, here is the wound. The upright heart cannot be at rest until it has lamented over its problems and poured out its pleadings and the need for cleansing before the Lord. The culture in which we live teaches us to run as far as we can from any sense of shame and conviction over our behaviors of the heart, and to the contrary seeks to justify and validate every rogue thought of the heart that is manifested in outlandish and flamboyant behaviors and lifestyles. Just today at lunch, I talked to a very successful restaurant owner who is a devout Christian, and the righteous activities and attitudes that flow from a kept heart are under constant assault by elected officials of their city. Instead of being rewarded for a job well done and the extra revenue that is brought to the city through all the taxes and fees that this successful restaurateur pays, they are pursued and mistreated and underappreciated. Clearly an elevation of the perverse and destructive behavior that flows from prideful hearts instead of a sense of shame for the heart evils and disorders. A sense of shame over sin that results in a closer walk with God is a great thing, not a bad thing. The third aspect to consider is that the outflow from the sense of shame and pain that comes with self-evaluation and scrutiny of the heart results in an earnest appeal and instant prayer for purifying and rectifying grace when sin has corrupted and dishonored the heart. Sin has a way of causing the heart to feel that it has come unwound, that it has been pulled apart. An old song by the classic rock group The Guess Who is titled, She's Come Undone. The song says, she's come undone. She found a mountain that was far too high. And when she found out she couldn't fly, it was too late. It's too late. She's gone too far. She's lost the sun. She's come undone. Psalm 19.12 says, cleanse me from my secret faults. Psalm 86.11 says, unite my heart to fear your name. The Christian Standard Bible puts Psalm 86.11 this way. Teach me your way, Lord, and I will live by your truth. Give me an undivided mind to fear your name. An humble heart bowed in prayer, full of brokenness and grief over sins and failures, is a common sight before the throne of God's grace. Rather than allow the world to embarrass us by our shortcomings of humanness, we need to celebrate the power of God to give us better hearts to love God more, to hate sin, and to walk more evenly with God. We know that when we come before the throne of God's grace and mercy that He will not deny us such a heart and He will give us a heart to fear, love, and find our joy in Him. The fourth aspect for us to consider as we seek to keep our hearts is, by the power of and submission to the Holy Spirit of God, to enact strong commitments and arrangements upon ourselves to walk more carefully with God, and to avoid the occasions in which the heart may be induced to sin. Friend, this stalwart determination is possible when we are walking in close fellowship with God. Stalwart is not a word I use much, but it fits here. Synonyms for stalwart are unwavering, steadfast, fearless, courageous, brave. All these variations on a theme in the context of invoking strong commitments and arrangements upon ourselves draw a picture of a robust life in God that is full of gusto. To put it in a modern sense, when we hang out with God on a regular basis, His righteousness has a way of rubbing off on us and we, by His power, gain the strength to make commitments to ourselves that results in walking more carefully with God 
and steering clear of situations that open the doors of our hearts to a downgrade. Well-advised and deliberate vows are, in some cases, very useful to guard the heart against some special sin. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. By this means, holy people of faith in Jesus Christ have overwhelmed their souls and preserved themselves from defilement, keeping in mind that it is a work of the Holy Spirit of God to make a vow as well as to keep it. Friend, my prayer is that you and I will model this virtue in ways that can convict and inspire others to take their hearts seriously enough that they too will stop, take inventory of their hearts, be brokenhearted and feel a sense of righteousness provoking shame, crying out to God for Him to cleanse them and recalibrate their heart, and make God-empowered commitments to change and walk closely with their loving Creator God. The fifth aspect to consider in keeping our hearts is a constant and holy jealousy over our own hearts. Quick-sighted self-jealousy is an excellent preservative from sin. Think about this, my friend. It is good to have a quick-sighted self-jealousy. It's an excellent preservative from sin. If we are to keep our hearts, we must have the eyes of our souls awake and open, ready to discover and suppress all the disorderly, unrestrained, unbridled stirrings of our affections before they get to a new height. We should ask at once the question, My soul, do you do well in this? Is this a good thing for a heart that wants to be right with God? Or the question, My agitated thoughts and passions, where is your authority to break in and to seek to undo my heart? People who possess a reverent fear of our Father God that shares in His jealous love for us will depart from evil, shake off laziness, and preserve themselves from sin, from iniquity. If we are to keep our hearts, we must eat and drink with fear. Now listen, my friend, this is going to seem counterintuitive. But when I say fear, I'm talking about a holy reverential fear towards our Creator God. If we are to keep our hearts, we must eat and drink with fear, rejoice with fear, and pass the whole time of our journey here on earth in fear. A holy fear of the righteous Creator God is a good thing and will build our hearts and not tear them down. The sixth aspect to absorb if we are to keep our hearts is to wake up to the reality of God's presence with us and setting the Lord always before us. When the eye of our faith is fixed upon the eye of God's omniscience, that means His infinite awareness, His understanding, and His insight into total knowledge, we dare not let our thoughts and affections be overtaken by empty allurements. Job did not allow his heart to yield to an impure vain thought. In Job 31 verse 4, he tells us, does he not see my ways and number all my steps? My friend, it is great news that we are not left powerless over the internal and external assaults against the well-being of and good spiritual shape of our hearts. Listen to the words of Peter, who once allowed the external pressures that were assaulting the disciples on that night Jesus was betrayed. He allowed those pressures to undo him. He made it through that sad time and went on to write in Second Peter chapter 1, Verses 1-11, through 11, he says, Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal privilege with ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. For this very reason, 
Make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly supplied to you. And with that, my friend, I bid you peace.